Good morning, church. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means me sin. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? they asked him. I don't know, he said. Thank you very much. Super reading. Super reading. Thank you ever so much. Right, so we are here in the next part of our series, the One Thing series. We've had one thing I asked from Psalm 27, which is essentially, I just want you, God. Everything else is a bonus. God, as long as I get you, that's all I really need. That's all I really want. And we talked about the, uh, the man who ran up to Jesus on his knees and fell at his knees, but Jesus said, one thing you lack. And what did he lack? He lacked a surrendered spirit. He had other things, but he lacked that surrendered spirit. And then uh, last week, we talked about Mary and Martha and about the fact that Martha did many good things, but Mary chose what was better. And uh, so there was one thing that was needed. And that one thing was to put Jesus above all other things and to choose. The thing that we learned from that is that we have the opportunity always to choose between what is good and what is best or better. And in the Christian life, that's one of the great challenges because we can do and do do many good things, but do we always choose what's best and what's better? One thing's needed. And today we're talking about one thing I know, not in the passage that was just read, but that leads on to it a little bit. Let me give you a bit of background to this passage because we haven't got time to do justice to the whole of John 9. We only read the first 12 verses. We are going to look at some of the rest of the chapter, but we've got effectively seven scenes. And if you know anything about the number seven, you'll know that scripturally it's a very important number. It's, It's the number of perfection or divinity in some ways. And so we have seven scenes in chapter nine. The first scene is about sin and suffering, which we already heard read. Somebody asks Jesus, his disciples, isn't it, I think, who sinned? this man uh, or his parents because he was born blind and they assume in that culture that it's God's curse or God's judgment, perhaps a better way of putting it. Um, What's going on here? What's the connection between sin and suffering? And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what this situation is about. What this situation is about is about God's glory and God's power and God's, the evidence of God being revealed. Going on from that, we have the healing, which was read for us. Jesus does that strange thing with mud and spit, which sounds 
Vaguely, not only vaguely, actually rather significantly disgusting. Um, so that, that happens, and he's, he's healed. And then the third scene, which we haven't had yet read, is the investigation of the healing. And the Pharisees uh, talk to the chap, and then they, they talk to the neighbors. Sorry, the neighbors talk to the man and ask him what happened. And then the Pharisees talk to the man, what happened? And the Pharisees talk to his parents and say, what happened? And they say, uh, we don't know. We don't know because they're afraid. And so, no, 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 we don't know. He's of age. He's an adult. You can talk to him. And they talk to the, uh, to the parents. And then they talk to the man again and say, the first time they talk to him is all about the Sabbath. The second time is all about his identity. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, Jesus goes back to find him. Jesus has healed and left. But after all of this confusion, debate, argument, you could say persecution of the man born blind. I mean, what has he done wrong? After all that, then Jesus comes back on the scene. He hears that he's been thrown out because the Pharisees throw him out. You were steeped in sin. How dare you lecture us? He hears about it and he finds him. Jesus goes searching. This is a beautiful thing. We tend to think this chapter is about the man, and in a way it is, or, or the Pharisees, and in a way it is. But it's really about Jesus, isn't it? It's about his power and compassion. He heals the man, though he knows that's going to get him in trouble. And he goes back to find the man because he's heard he's in another kind of trouble. Do you believe in the Son of Man in verse 35? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees, they're hanging around. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? They kind of get the point. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. In other words, uh, you, you don't think you're blind, so therefore you really have a problem. If you really admitted it, that you were really blind, then we, we'd have somewhere to go with all this. So, briefly. Um, briefly, and then I hope succinctly, we'll, we'll come down to this point of asking ourselves, what do we really know about Jesus? What do we fundamentally know? Because in the midst of all this, being questioned, the man says... They say, give glory to God by telling the truth, which is a formula for saying, look, this is really serious. If you get this wrong, you're condemned. That's the Pharisees. And they say, and they say, we know this man is a sinner. They're all confused. And the man says in verse 25, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. And now I see. And I'd like us, as I share a few thoughts here, to be thinking about this, that when it comes to telling people what we know about Jesus, what is the one thing we know even about him? Like personally. So I'm talking here very specifically, not about intellectual knowledge. I know he rose from the dead, or I know that he was the son of God, or I know that uh, he was uh, born of, of Mary, or I know that. Not, not, not those I knows, 
because he's not talking about that here. He doesn't fully know who Jesus is at this point. Later, Jesus comes back on the scene to help him complete his understanding, although even, even then I'd say it's not, not quite complete. No one's understanding of Jesus is fully complete until after the resurrection. But he comes back to help him to have a, his next step on his faith journey. But at the point where he's healed of his blindness, he doesn't fully understand who Jesus is. But he knows what happened to him. He knows the power of Jesus in his life. He's had that experience. And so that's what I'm talking about here. Is if someone said to you, what do you know about Jesus? And you could tell them a lot of different things. But what would be the one thing you could say? about the, 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 the key thing that Jesus has done for you, done in you, something that's yours. Not a universal thing that, that lots of other people might believe in, but what's the thing, what's it, what is it for you? I was blind, but now I see. What's the equivalent of that for you and me today? So briefly, let's talk about Jesus for a few minutes. Jesus on sin and suffering, and that first scene right there. Jesus loves the sinner and the sufferer. He does not condemn the sinner. He does not condemn the sufferer. Um, the thinking of Judaism at the time was a bit like, a little bit like Hinduism today, you might say. Um, or some of us may remember the England manager, Glenn Hoddle, uh, who was fired from his job for basically connecting uh, wrongdoing with uh, disabilities in the present life, which was... Uh, not much to do with football, but nonetheless a rather controversial uh, uh, view to hold. But Jesus is not commenting in this passage on the theology of sin and suffering. What he's basically saying is, I'm going to deal with this situation on its merits. Here is a man born blind. I'm going to deal with that right here. So what we're, what's being profiled here is not so much a theology of sin and suffering, though it's connected. But what's being profiled here is Jesus saying, I love this man. I want his well-being. I want to advance his well-being. That's what matters here. It's not who sinned. That's never the issue with Jesus. It's how can I help you? How can I help this man? And he's urgent about it. So Jesus does the healing uh, and he, he loves the guy. It's a strange healing. Of course, we could talk more about that, uh, the, but we, we don't have time today. But I love, the, I love the, the sending connections here, which I think I've written about on the Walford Word, so I won't go into detail here. But Jesus, the sent one, sends one who needs salvation to a place called sent. It, it's, it's a really interesting, I think it's deliberate here. I, I, I do think it, there's something in that. Uh, and the water, Shiloh, it means sent um, because the idea is the water has been sent from somewhere and it's being sent somewhere else. It's flowing water. So it's a common name for, for moving water. But there's something in that. I'll leave you to ponder that. We won't got time to go into that right now. Jesus heals because he loves to help the hurting. And then Jesus creates a stir because of all this. He doesn't create a stir for the sake of it. The stirring is a consequence of the power of his love enacted upon somebody who needs that power, powerful love. So the neighbors get, you know, like, what's going on? And the man says, I don't know what's going on. And who is this chap? And he says, I don't really know who he is. Jesus gets the glory here. Jesus wasn't doing the miracle for notoriety, for reward. He was doing it because he cared about the man. The Pharisees think the Sabbath is being violated, although it isn't. Of course, they're 
they're dealing with their traditions about the Sabbath, not the actual biblical teaching. Um, they had a rule which was that on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to knead bread, right? That's work. And the argument would be that in making mud with his spit, Jesus was kneading the mud. So therefore, he's uh, disobeying God. Um, but uh, anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, Jesus is threatening their world. They are afraid. Fear does funny things to our ability to see clearly. This is a physical thing, right? We get that tunnel vision when we're terrified. We don't see. It's a physical thing that happens. You can't see the periphery anymore. You only see like tunnel vision. It actually happens physically to us in a sense. That happens to us spiritually. And we get afraid of someone rocking our spiritual world, asking us a question about our life, our purity, our beliefs, our doctrine, and it threatens our beliefs or threatens our way of life. And we get frightened. And then we often don't see clearly. We're not listening anymore. It's really important that when someone asks us a question we don't like, we don't dismiss it. But have, have a good look into the scriptures and see if what it's saying is, is true, what they're saying is true. Uh, the parents um, tried to pass the buck. Uh, we don't know about this bloke. We do know this is our son. How we got healed, we don't know. They were afraid because they were going, they were putting people out of the synagogue uh, who, uh, who followed Jesus. Uh, so, hi kids. You had a good time? <laughs> good. <laughs> Jealous of the kids. I'd rather be outside, wouldn't you? Uh, be nice. Okay, I'll let you. I'll set you free in a minute. Um, the uh, but to come back to that final passage of verse thirty-five to wrap up. What is Jesus really doing here? Well, he's demonstrating his love, but then he's also he's also creating the conditions for true faith in this man. He's setting the whole thing up so this man can understand who Jesus is. As he comes back and asks him whether he believes in the, in the Son of Man. He creates faith so that people can experience the love of the Father. That's what he wants for all of us. The Pharisees choose what they know instead of what is revealed to them. This man sees Jesus twice. He sees him physically, and then in a sense he sees him, of course, spiritually. The sadness in this passage is that so many that were there and saw the miracle, so many who saw Jesus and knew that he had something to do with this miracle, so many wouldn't see him spiritually because they were too stubborn. We're learning something here about discipleship, about what it means to follow. The man born blind asks the Pharisees, do you want to become his disciples too? They are greatly offended by this. But it implies he understands that Jesus is the kind of guy you follow. I'd like to think this chap became a disciple. He certainly sounds like he did. I'd love to have a chat with him in the next life and find out more about what this was like. He has a progression in his belief, in his beliefs. He goes from recognizing Jesus as an, at the beginning of this passage as an unnamed rabbi healer. He's just a rabbi. Then he's, oh, Jesus, right, it's Jesus. I know his name. Then he thinks he's a prophet. I think he's like Moses. He's doing the same kinds of things that Moses did. And, and then he realizes that he's of God. 
then he recognizes him as the son of man, the one sent from God. And finally, finally, he says, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. So many of the people in this world are somewhere on that journey, aren't they? Somewhere on that progression. Possibly most, if they're anywhere on there, they might recognize Jesus by name and perhaps as a rabbi type. Your job and mine, if I can put it this way, is to tell people about the Jesus we know so that they can go from wherever they are on that progression to perhaps the next the next part of that. Currently, if they think of him as just someone who's just called Jesus, might they believe in him as being somebody like a prophet? Might they then believe he was of God? Might they then believe he was son of man? Might they then worship him as Lord? And so our convictions and the confidence with which we can say, I know him, helps us with this, to help others to come, ultimately to be able to call him Lord and, and worship him. The blind man is a bit of a, uh, a model believer in some ways, I think. He's healed. Um, he's persecuted. <laughs> he's, uh, but he believes. He speaks with his mouth words of faith. And he worships. He worships. And I was thinking about I've been praying about this this week and uh, thinking about it. The, the words of amazing grace came to mind. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I, I once was blind. But now I see. Isn't that true for all of us? If you've got that, if you come to that place of Christ as Lord... I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. What do you know about Jesus? What would you say? Someone stops you, or a relative corners you, says, what's this about your faith? What do you know? What would you say that was real for you? I imagine this man, for the rest of his life on earth, going around and people recognizing him, saying, weren't you the guy that used to be blind? And he said, yeah, do you want to know the story? I'll tell you the story. I was blind, but now I see. And I'll tell you why. It's, oh, that's the one thing I know about Jesus. It's the one thing I can tell you about him. What might that be for you and me? I'd encourage us to take some time to reflect on this and perhaps pray about it this week. And just, you know, so you've got that in your heart and in your mind. The next time you have the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, there's one thing I know. He's done this for me. He's done this in me. I believe in him, not just in my head, but I know him. That, I think, makes all the difference to our witness. I'm going to ask uh, Becky to come up and pray for us uh, now before we take bread and wine, because we're going to take bread and wine, which reminds us of the body and blood of Christ, and it reminds us of the grace. This man received the gracious loving healing of Jesus, not because he earned it or deserved it. He was passive in many ways. But he gets it because Jesus knows he needs it and, he, and Jesus is generous. And so the, the taking of bread and wine reminds us of the generosity of Jesus to each one of us, that we would come to know him 
So as we take bread and wine in a minute, can I encourage us to, to be grateful that we have come to know who he is? That one thing we know because of his love and because of his grace. Thank you. Would you pray for us, please? Heavenly Father, how great it is to be able to come together freely, united in our knowledge and our love of you. Thank you, Father, for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the message that Malcolm has just shared with us. Thank you that we know that whilst each one of us was still sinners, that you, your body was broken for us that you died and you rose again for us, that each one of our names was written on the palm of your hands, that we can hold fast to this knowledge that you loved us before even one of our days started, that the veil was torn in two and that we can enter freely into a relationship with you because of your sacrifice and love. I pray that, Father, this week, you will help each one of us to treasure that in our hearts as we explore the things that each one of us as individuals know. And I thank you, Father, for your act of salvation for each one of us. I pray for the bread and the wine as it's passed around, um, that uh, we would just really take to heart what we have learned today. In your name, amen. Thank you.